Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the show. I'm Shane Norton, a.k.a. The Sports Card Nobody, and this is another episode of the Sports Card Nobody podcast. Now, that being said, this actually is not just another episode of the podcast because this is episode 40. Four zero. Something about those round numbers just uh, feels like a milestone. But somehow, some way, week in and week out, all right, let me actually back that up a little bit. Most weeks, I have put this show out every single week. I have missed a few here and there to various reasons, which I have talked about on the podcast. Listen to all the old episodes if you want to find out what I'm talking about. But I have managed to do this for 40 plus weeks now, and that is pretty rad. I have been able to sit my butt in this chair, stick this mic in front of my face, and just spew out the garbage I want to spit out. And somehow people out there want to listen, and that is awesome. So first, a huge thank you to everybody who does take the time out of their day, out of their commutes, out of their exercising, when they're jogging, whatever you're doing, actually listening to me talk about pieces of cardboard that I collect. That is awesome. So thank you so much for giving me the motivation to continue to sit down most weeks. Pretty cool. Um, now, this uh, this 40th episode here is going to be a solo episode. This one is going to be just me. I have been very fortunate in that I have had some incredible guests over the 40 episodes that I have done. Um, Scott DeMay, who who puts on the ECCA show here at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. Fantastic guest who's been on twice. I've had Scotty B. Cards, one of the one of the best YouTube creators in terms of baseball card collecting. Huge nerd, which I love. Uh, just last week, I had Dan Nguyen, a.k.a. the Great Curator, a gentleman who specializes in collecting Star Wars, wrestling, comic Marvel cards, pop culture, Taylor Swift rookie card. That's what he collects. Man, it's been fun. I've talked to people who don't even collect cards. I've had a couple friends on who want to talk about things that they collect, vinyl records, hot toys figures. It's been a fun ride. I really have loved the fact that I have been able to have on so many people who share a passion, not just for cards, but for collecting, for um, curating something that tells a story about themselves. And that's what I want to actually focus on today. I want to, I want to focus on the love of the game of collecting things. Now, a little bit of backstory. Um, last week, I had the great curator on, as I mentioned. And during that show, I had to give Dan a little bit of a heads up that I was suffering a little bit of an eye issue. And uh, if I was winking at him through through our uh, Zoom our Zoom video conferencing there, that I wasn't actually winking at him, but I was dealing with an issue. Um, but I was powering through as best I could. Now, that issue continued to get worse and worse as the interview went on. And in fact, when I listened back to that episode, I adore what Dan is bringing to the table, what the great curator uh, is imparting to myself and, and everybody who listened to that episode is really invaluable and great and entertaining. But um, I don't feel like I was on my game. I, I can tell that I was I was preoccupied with what was going on with my eye. Well, the episode finally wrapped. Great conversation. Like I said, you should absolutely go back and listen to it if you have not. Uh, but the episode, the episode wrapped and I was editing, you know, the, 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 the interview, putting it together, adding in the music and all those sorts of things that you do. And man, it was just getting worse and worse. The eye was just becoming 
uh, almost unbearable. Trying to look at even the light off the computer monitor was was really painful. And so I was rushing through that editing, um, that editing um, workflow, just getting it done. Just wanted to pump it out and just 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 be done with it so that I can go close my eye. And I did that. I got it done. And throughout the rest of the night, it continued to get worse. So bad, in fact, that I, I couldn't sleep a wink. Not one minute did I sleep that night. Uh, usually around 5 a.m., my son wakes up. I was still awake, so I went up and, and I got him out of his crib, you know, tried to let my wife sleep. And I brought him downstairs, and it was obvious that I, I wasn't in a position to be able to take care of him properly. And I, I had to sort of very reluctantly go upstairs and wake my wife up, apologize, and ask her to take him so that I can try to figure out what was happening. Uh, long story short, too late. It did not get any better. My wife had to have um, her twin sister come over and watch the kids, and I had to go to the doctor. It turns out that I was dealing with an eye infection that was getting very severe. Uh, at the doctor's office, it was, I mean, I couldn't open my eyes. It was so painful. My wife had to hold my hand to walk me into the building, hold my hand to get me into the bathroom, hold my hand to get me into the exam rooms. I just, I was completely out of my wits. Um, so that, you know, that was not a fantastic day for me. And it turns out that that was going to not be a fantastic week because the problem was, was pretty serious, pretty serious. Um, the doctor admitted later, you know, not that day, but later in the, in the visits after the follow-ups that she was actually pretty concerned about how bad it was. But nonetheless, you know, put me on the antibiotics, a steroid and ointment, and all of these different medications, and thankfully, I have been on the mend. I will be going back to my proper job tomorrow, uh, which will be Tuesday. This usually comes out uh, Monday nights slash Tuesday morning, so by the time you're listening to this, I may actually finally be back to work. Uh, so all this is to really um, talk about the fact that this you know, physical medical issue has not been fun. And not fun in a way that it really started to drag me down mentally in a lot of different ways. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into the woods on that. Uh, I am going to bring this back to the cards, I promise. But um, but having all of these things happen, you know, I, I was sitting on the, on the couch in my guest room for most of the week, nursing the eye, doing the medications, unable to watch television, unable to do much because any light was really, really killing my eyes. Um but eventually, I did start to come around to the point that I could at least, with sunglasses on inside, look at my phone and try to try to dive into the hobby that I love so much to try to help my my mental state. And man, the L's just kept on coming. Uh, you know, on top of the eye issue, I was finding this week just not going my way at all in terms of the card collecting that I do. You know, this this escape, this thing that I. I genuinely love to do this thing that brings me happiness and joy on a, on a materialistic level. But, you know, hopefully I, this episode, as I talk about it more and more on a deeper level as well, you know, because I, I really do care about the act of collecting, the act of expressing myself. And, and I'm going to get into that. But uh, the L's I, I want to focus on right now. Um, first and foremost, I, I shared on, on Twitter um, that I had missed out. I never even saw a massive, massive eBay sale. In fact, there were two of them. There were two big ones, one much bigger than the other, but they were both Bret Hart one of ones that had popped and sold 
on eBay before I ever even saw them. Now, one of them was a select black one of one, I think the concourse. And uh, I actually learned about this one as the eye was falling apart on me because it was it was Dan Nguyen after we got done recording. The great curator asked me if that was me that bought it. And I had said I, I never even saw it on eBay. It didn't even pop for me. So I missed that. And then later in the week, I missed an even bigger one, which was a 2020 finest Bret Hart Superfractor that was um, listed in a way that was very mm, incorrect. Brett was spelled B-R-E-T-T. Tops was spelled T-O-P-S. And this thing sold pretty quick. And again, I never even saw the card. I never even had a chance at it. And it sold at a price that was really a steal. And I'm pretty genuinely happy for the person that bought it. Uh, they got a, a great price. I know the person that bought it. So maybe down the road, we'll be able to work out a deal and I can try to get that into my collection. But nonetheless, you know, the, the point of this is just talking about, you know, I'm having this sort of real life fear that I'm never going to see out of my right eye again, or, or at least um, at the level that I hoped or that I'm used to. Um, and the hobby itself seemed like it's turning his back on me, missing out on these, on these massive auctions. And then there were other auctions that it seems like I was watching for weeks and finally coming to an end. And I have these prices in my head that are totally fair and just getting beat, beat in all the auctions, getting sniped, things going for more than I expect. And holy moly, man, I, I can't even like get these wins in this, in this week. That's not going my way. And then to add, you know, even more insult to injury, as I was finally getting closer and closer back on the men where I could use my eye, um, you know, I could start participating in the hobby the way I like to take the photos of cards that I love. I started being able to reshare things on Instagram, which was great. Um, I had been talking for a long time with a few buddies about sending a bulk submission to PSA. None of us had really ever used PSA before. And I thought it was a good idea if we did it together so we can get, you know, a group rate, you know, get things a little bit cheaper, send it in through a group submitter to try to get the, uh, not only the, the, um, cheaper price, but also maybe the pre-screening to help clean up the cards and prep them better than we can do. Whatever. One of the things that I thought would be a fun, you know, experiment would be to crack and resubmit some of the cards that I have. So I did that to two of my SGC 2020 finest cards. The first one cracked, no problem. Got it out, sent it in. We'll find out in probably six months what that comes back as and if that was a smart idea or not. But the other one was definitely not a smart idea because in trying to crack the card, I scratched the card. Ah, man, that has been weighing over me for days now that I did that. I I can't believe that I made that mistake. It was stupid. I, um, you know, regret everything I've ever decided in my life (laughs) up until that point. But that was a pretty big mistake. Um, uh, You know, full... Full transparency, it was my Stone Cold Steve Austin 2020 Finest Gold. It was graded a 10 by SGC. I was just curious if that would actually translate to a PSA 10. I wanted to do this experimentation. Obviously, once I messed up the card, I didn't even bother submitting it. I keep it in my PC. I still love the card. But man, am I mad and a little sick to my stomach that I that I did that. So there you go. That's my week, my, you know, 11 minutes, 12 minutes into this episode. And all I'm talking about is all this negativity, but there's a a method to the madness here because in all this negativity, I was thinking about this episode all week and what I was going to do. I definitely, I definitely wasn't going to try to 
get a guest, you know, in my condition. I just was going to try to do this on my own. And I do a lot of solo episodes. I'm always happy to do that. Um, but I was trying to think, what, what can I possibly talk about this week? I haven't participated in the hobby in a great way this week. I don't really have a lot of great stories. Um, so what, what's my angle here? What am I trying to do? What am I trying to talk about and share with the, with the people that give me their time every week? The only thing that made sense to me was trying to talk about why I love this, why I love this hobby, why in this sort of crappy week of some real fears that I was having and some real, um, you know, sort of mental degradation that I was dealing with, why turning to this hobby was something that I was trying to do to, to lift myself up. First and foremost, I have my wife and I have my kids and they were absolutely phenomenal through this week helping me along the way every single step and really keeping my spirits where uh, they needed to be. But nonetheless, turning to this hobby as well and, and other things to try to find um, little moments of, of um, escapism is, is important to me. They're things that, that go a long way for me. So in this week that it seemed like the hobby was turning its back on me, I felt like it was a good time to sort of reset and, and rethink about what it is I love, why I do this. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to focus on the love of the game of collecting. And I want to do that. And I want to wrap it around my top five. Every week I do a top five. I, I It's become now a, a, a full-on weekly thing that I do. Although what that top five is changes. It started with the top five jersey countdowns, and I had so much fun with that, but I, I started to open it up when I've had different guests on, and it's evolved and kind of become just this thing that I love to do. Every week, I think about what this top five will be. So to, to, to sort of bring this back to the for, the for the love of the game, I wanted to wrap the top five around that. So that is exactly what I'm going to do. This is going to be my top five quote-unquote sports moments for me. And now before I get into that, the reason I'm doing these top moments is because I've talked about this a lot and I want to share this again. I collect and curate these pieces of cardboard because I am trying to express something about myself to people that come into my office. You know, I, I share this through text messages with friends. I share these cards that I get and I get to talk about my love for wrestling and for the Dodgers and for the 49ers or whatever it is. I, I'm in different um, group chats. I'm in a Dodgers group chat. I'm in a uh, an all-day group chat with two of my buddies where we just all, all talk about the cards that we love. And every time we come across stuff on eBay, we're sharing it with one another. Like, oh, you know, I think you'd love this. Just tonight, before I sat down to record, I sent a, um, a Star Wars Emperor Palpatine Gold um, Star Wars Finest card to my group chat because I know that my buddy loves Palpatine. Suplexes and slap shots. I shout them out every week now. Just a huge Palpatine fan. Sent that to him. He might love that card. He might buy it. I don't know. Who knows? But these stories of ourselves that I get to, that we get to share through our cardboard is very important to me. And so my top five is these sports moments that inspire me, you know, that make me want to go and do this, that make me have these stories that I want to share. So I'm going to get off my my little soapbox here, whatever that's called. You know, I'm just going to get into it. I'm going to share my top five sports moments, and these are not definitive by any stretch of the imagination. 
But these are moments that I got to experience at some point in my life that meant something to me that translates into the cards that I collect, that I curate, and that I share. And you might not care about a single one of these on this list. You might not care about any of the cards that I share on my Instagram or that I talk about or, or that I am PCing and chasing. But the point is, if you're listening to my show, you probably share a collector's mentality. You probably share a storytelling uh, romance, I guess, for lack of a better word, because that's what I like to do. I like to tell stories through the things that I collect, through the things that I share, and I'm hoping that this will resonate with you on a deeper level, even if you don't care about my 54321 or about the cards that I share, and instead it's more about the spirit of what I am trying to convey here on this show, this show put on by a nobody who loves collecting cards and who was inspired by these five moments. So enough, let's get into it. My top five quote-unquote sports moments for me, for Shane Norton, a.k.a. the sports card nobody. Let's kick it off with number five. He's cranking, he's locking it. Wait a second, bro. How's he going to breathe in there? Now that call by Vince McMahon, Rowdy Roddy Piper, with a little bit of Macho Man in the background, those three gentlemen were talking about a 1991 WWF storyline in which The Undertaker stuffed the ultimate warrior into a coffin. I was what eight years old in 1991 just a a wee little nobody watching this on a Saturday morning with my mother in the room and you can hear in that call Roddy Rowdy Roddy Piper say the words can he breathe in there well I'll tell you what I sat there as a young young boy Screaming at my TV the same exact thing. He can't breathe in there. He can't breathe in there. Get him out. Full on nervous. I was a huge warrior, Mark, man. Everybody was at that time. Warrior grabbing the ropes and going crazy. We didn't, you know, all the other stuff that comes later, whatever. Warrior was something else, especially to an eight-year-old boy at that time. And to see him stuffed into that coffin, struggling to breathe with the, uh, the the WWF officials come out later with a crowbar and they're trying desperately to get him out. And eventually they do. And, and the guy's not even breathing. It was so indelible on my soul. I was so genuinely scared for this, what I perceived to be superhuman being that he was going to be okay. And then my mother leans in and she says to me, this is all fake, you know. And I, and I said, what? And, and that was the moment. <laughs> that was the moment that Shane Norton, a.k.a. the sports card nobody, learned that wrestling was fake. I didn't know how to process that. <laughs> I, that was the moment that it was really um, 
broken to me. The news was broken to me, but I didn't know what that meant, that it was fake at the time. And I didn't, you know, how many years later that I truly understood what fake even meant, you know, scripted, um, choreographed, planned, whatever. I mean, it's definitely not fake. Just go look at Seamus's chest from his match with Gunther a couple of weeks back, man. This stuff isn't fake. These guys, these guys and girls are putting themselves through hell for entertainment purposes, but whatever, that's a different soapbox that I'll get on in another day. But this moment was such a, like a, an inflection point in who I was as a child trying to one day become a man and this weird entertainment that I love so much and still do all these years later, it just stood out to me. And the reason I'm choosing this moment for a wrestling as a whole is, is a, it's one of my favorite stories to tell is how, you know, I'm worried about this guy's about to die. And my mother's just like, Hey, it's fake. Get over it. Um, but there's a lot of moments I could have picked. I mean, I, I thought about when Lex Luger picks up Hogan and, and puts him in the torture rack to finally take the strap off the NWO or Rock versus Hogan at WrestleMania or any of the, the Bret Hart moments that I possibly could have picked. You know, there's there's so many wrestling moments that stand out to me. But but that moment was always just so, I don't know, vivid to me, even still. I can remember sitting on the on the living room floor watching that. It's just so clear as day to me. Um that it just sort of represents my love of wrestling as a whole. Uh, you know, I warrior is nowhere near my top 10, uh, taker for sure is, you know, at the time I certainly hated taker thought he was murdering a man in front of me on a Saturday morning, but nonetheless, that moment really just still has always resonated with me as a little boy watching this tragedy unfold. And yet here I am all these years later collecting wrestling cards more than anything else that I collect and still watching, watching Dynamite every Wednesday and keeping up with Raw and SmackDown and just being so in love with this entertainment still. The stories, the storytelling, the athleticism, it, it all still is so strong inside of me. And I just respect so much about the business that I put so much time and money into collecting the pieces of cardboard that help represent that part of me. And that's why I chose as my number five Undertaker stuffing the Ultimate Warrior into a coffin to try to kill him on Saturday morning. <laughs> and that brings up number four. And there is one out to go. One miserable, measly out. Hang in there. Your mouth has to be dry. Your throat has to be dry. He's done it. Clayton Kershaw pitches a no-hitter, a career-high 15 strikeouts. And then when it's all said and done, he'll escape all the excitement and the noise and talk about a dream come true with his wife, Ellen. June 18th, 2014, Clayton Kershaw, the greatest pitcher of his generation by a long shot, one of the greatest pitchers of all time took the mound and threw one of the most dominant pitching performances of all time. Now, your first thought might be as a no-hitter. There's been lots of no-hitters. There's been perfect games thrown. Yes, you would not be wrong if you, if you, uh, if you say that. But the difference is that Clayton threw that no-hitter, and the only base runner that reached was because of a Hanley Ramirez error. And in this no-hitter, he walked nobody and struck out 15. It is one of the most dominant single pitching performances in the history of the game. And it was so awesome getting to watch that. Now, I didn't get to watch this game through and through 
live. I was at work when this happened, living in Los Angeles. I was working, so I was watching the game at work. Uh, we realized something special is happening, so every chance that we had to get away, we're, we're watching the game. Oh, my God, this is crazy. Um, I got out of work before the final pitch. I was able to get to the local bar right below where I worked with the other other L.A. crowd. I mean, we were right down the street from Dodger Stadium as well, just a few, uh, maybe three or four miles away. And we got to watch the final out in this, in this huge crowd of people at the bar. It was so, so awesome to be a part of that. I miss living in L.A. for a lot of reasons. The sports is probably the biggest reason. But, man, it was so awesome watching um, a guy that whose career I'd been watching so close. Man. And I, I started watching Clayton Kershaw's career when he was a prospect. I mean, if, you, if you're a real big sports fan, right, you do this. You pay attention to the young kids coming up. But Kershaw was kind of a special case in that uh, the Dodgers and the Giants had um, picks that were really close to each other. I forget what the numbers were now. I don't want to... Uh, go down that, but the Dodgers were up first and they chose Clayton Kershaw over Tim Lincecum. Kershaw was younger than Lincecum was at the time. Lincecum broke into the bigs, uh, you know, a couple years well before uh, Kershaw did. And the guy went on to win two Cy Young awards, I think, before before Kershaw ever really broke out, I, I think is accurate. And it was always this kind of question like, man, did the Dodgers make a huge mistake? Should they have taken Lincecum? Was Kershaw the guy? I mean, fast forward all these years later, there's absolutely zero question. Lincecum's very violent, herky-jerky motion. Just He could not stay on the mound, could not stay on the field. He did win World Series. He had a lot of the two uh, Cy Youngs, like I said, had a phenomenal career. But Kershaw went on to become one of the greatest to ever do it, including this insane no-hitter with a great call by the, by the phenomenal Vin Scully. So that's my number four because... I mean, I talk about Kershaw a lot. I, I do PC him on a small scale for the stuff that I can kind of afford that I that I really love to have. He has a special spot over on a, a shelf over to my right. He's represented up on my shelf above me with the 2020 World Series heroes. Kershaw is the best athlete I've ever gotten to see with my own eyes and is a massive inspiration for why I love to collect cards. Not just his cards, Dodgers in general, but getting to express those stories and those these moments that I got to watch and and share with other friends and strangers at the bar. Man, sports are special. Sports are, they can unify, they can tear apart, they, all those, whatever. But when you have those moments that you can remember forever, like watching Kershaw throw that no-hitter, those are the things that you love to express. And I get to do that with my cardboard. Now, the next one, is a really special moment because I got to sit in the stands with my brother right next to me for what came next. Number three. Oh, and one to count to Finley. The outfield is shallow. The infield is up. Finley today is one for four. Franklin set. Wayne ready and deal. Swung on. High fly ball to deep right field. Wherever it goes, the Dodgers have won, and it's a grand slam home run. 2004. The Dodgers and Giants are locked in a tight race for who is going to win the National League West. The Dodgers are at home. My brother and I traveled all the way out to L.A. Neither of us lived in Los Angeles at the time. We traveled together to get out there for this series and some of the playoffs that, that came after. And we're sitting in the stands. I think there was um, it was a three-game series, and the Dodgers needed to win one of those games 
to win the NL West. They lost the first game in the series. We were out there for the second game. We had tickets to what was going to be the final game of the season as well. The Dodgers are down 3-0 going into the ninth. I think after Brett Tomko threw a phenomenal dominant performance. So the Dodgers are down 3-0 heading into that ninth. They end up tying the game in the ninth inning. And the bases get loaded for Steve Finley to come up. And, you know, all he had to do was knock in one run to seal the game. But you heard the call. A grand slam walk-off to seal the division. My brother and I screamed for probably 40 minutes straight. I remember that night having just a massive throbbing headache because of how excited I was for so long. I got to witness this insane, insane moment live in the stands with my brother. My brother's the reason I am a Dodgers fan. Real quick, you know, we're 10 years apart, my brother and me. He moved out to Los Angeles when I was something like seven or eight years old, right around the time I got to, you know, watch Ultimate Warrior die on Saturday morning television. He moved out to Los Angeles and I used to go visit him every summer and he would take me to Dodger games. Now he was a Dodger fan even before he left to LA. I didn't really take until until I got to start going to ball games with my big brother. And now, all these years later, I, I become such a, a diehard fan and just engrossed myself in the history of the team and the sport and became a, a true a true baseball fan. And my brother and I getting to share that together is is something that is so special. It is one thing to watch Clayton Kershaw throw a no hitter with a bunch of friends and you know, at the bar with the strangers like I talked about and, and watching it on television, but to actually be with the inspiration, the influence, the reason that I'm a Dodgers fan and, and to share that with my big brother live in the stadium is one is always going to be one of my favorite sports moments of all time. The Dodgers went on to get beat in the National League Division Series against the Cardinals, I think, that year. They never even really had they, a shot. You know, they were beat pretty easy. I think we were at those games as well, but whatever. So that didn't go on to become a legendary moment because it didn't lead to anything. It wasn't like Kirk Gibson's home run in Game 1 of the World Series in 88 when they went on to win the World Series, right? That's why that moment stands out. This really just becomes a, you know, a footnote. But it's a footnote that I got to be there with, with my brother. And that moment, that sports moment, is still so ingrained in my psyche and the things that I got to experience live and it's, it's that part of me that I continue to want to express. It's, it's that love of the game that makes me want to have these, this cardboard to share and talk about. When I look at the Dodgers cards, I mean, this is one of the things that stands out to me and, you know, inside that I love so very much. Steve Finley, walk-off Grand Slam to win the National League West and send the team to the playoffs. And I shared it with my brother. That brings me to number two. Someone take the monkey off my back, please. Oh, it was a gorilla. Every guy in here, every guy in here made a commitment. You know you did. There were times when it was dark. It was really dark. We turned back into each other's face and committed to each other. This is the greatest feeling in the world. Is it not? It was 1994. I was 11 years old. This was three years after the death of the Warrior on Saturday morning television. And I finally got to watch the San Francisco 49ers win the Super Bowl. And Steve Young, 
with that mighty get the monkey off my back moment, hoisting the Lombardi trophy, absolute domination against the Chargers. They 40 some odd points. I mean, the game was never even close. Steve threw six touchdowns over 320 yards. It was one of the best Super Bowl performances of all time. Clear Super Bowl MVP. Jerry Rice went off. Everybody went off. It was such an amazing game to watch. And I remember all those years waiting for that moment to happen where it seemed like we were getting beat by the Cowboys every single year. They finally got over the hump. They beat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game, which I remember like everybody thinking about that NFC Championship game was going to be the Super Bowl. Like That was it. Whoever won that game was going to win it. And sure enough, it wasn't even close. The Chargers could not keep up with any aspect of that 49ers team. And I got to watch it. I got to watch that live. Man, like I said, I was 11. So the, the first time the 49ers, or I'm sorry, the last time the 49ers had won the Super Bowl before that was 1989. It really wasn't that long before, but I was only six. And to be honest, I don't remember anything about it. Um, I, I'm a huge Joe Montana fan. I remember being so upset when he got traded to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and, and Steve Young took over as the, the starting quarterback of the 49ers. And you know that's a big reason why he was saying get the monkey off his back. It's a huge shadow to overcome in Joe Montana. Now, that being said, I actually don't have a single memory of watching Joe Montana play football except on the Chiefs, which is weird. I don't know why that is. I don't know if I just didn't get to watch the games or whatever it is. I don't even know why I'm a 49ers fan. I can tell you why I'm a Dodgers fan. I can tell you why I'm a Lakers fan. But the 49ers, I just, I have no idea. I I don't know where some of those earliest um, loves came from. So I don't remember them winning the Super Bowl in 89. I don't remember that whole dynasty in the 80s at all. So this really was the first time I got to see the 49ers win a Super Bowl. And I got to see Steve Young just go off and the elation and the happiness and God, it was great. It'd be great if they could go ahead and do that again sometime because it's been a long time. 94 was not, not yesterday, but whatever. I digress a little bit. So watching them win the Super Bowl, my love for the 49ers, my love for football. I don't talk about it much on this show for whatever reason. Um, you know, wrestling has dominated so much in my cardboard collecting and I really don't have a lot of 49ers cards. So I, I think that's why I don't talk about it as much. But I am a diehard 49ers fan. And and that year was so special. That team was so special. Steve Young and Jerry Rice was a connection. Unlike, you know, there's only been a few tandems as good or I mean, a few better as well. But, man, it was such a cool time to be a fan. It still still is, I think. Trey Lance might do something. Who knows? But, you know, I keep going on tangents here. Um but man, getting to watch that live was was so very cool. Watching your team win a championship is is hard to describe. I mean, hopefully every one of you out there has gotten to see it. You know, hopefully you're not Padres fans or something, you know, teams that never win. But um, but the 49ers pulled it off. Steve got the monkey off his back. And that moment is just that whole Super Bowl has been, you know, sort of a crutch for 49ers pain since then, as they've they've really been unable to reach those heights. And again, I, I keep saying this, but it's that love, it's that passion, and it's it's that romance that I have inside me that makes me do what I do. And so that's number two, Steve Young getting the monkey off his back. But what is number one? Let's find out. Ownership 
Andrew Friedman. Dave Roberts. That great strike play. Dodgers have won it all in 2020. Just like the 49ers winning the Super Bowl in 1994, the Dodgers finally, mercifully winning the World Series in 2020 was really for all intents and purposes the first time the Dodgers had ever won the World Series in my lifetime. 1988, I don't remember. I wasn't even truly a fan, like I said, until I was a little bit older and my brother's influence really pulled me in. And 2020 was a rough year for everybody. For, for, for the whole country, the whole world, we all know what we dealt with. And watching my team get through that year and really what was the hardest playoffs in the history of the MLB, the most teams, the longest, most games you had to win, get through that and finally hoist the World Series trophy was so cathartic. I cried. I ran around my house. It was amazing. I didn't get to go to the game. Side note, my brother did. My brother got to go to the game because he lives in Texas, and that's where the the, uh, World Series was played. So my brother and his son got to go together, which is amazing, and I'm still so jealous that I didn't get to go. But whatever. I watched here in my home. My wife recorded me as the final out was finally happening, which you just heard. Uh, Julio Arias with the strikeout to seal it. Kershaw running out. So happy. Just like Steve Young before him, getting that monkey off his back all of the years that Kershaw had to deal with the question marks about what he can do in October. He's like, oh, he's so good in a regular season, but look at his numbers in October. Ah. You know what? Some of that criticism's fair, but whatever. He was great in 2020. He was a huge reason they won that World Series. I mean, God, it was so awesome watching him finally have that moment, watching Dave Roberts celebrate with him and for him, and you just you knew how special that was. And I got to watch it. I got to be alive for it. I was starting to wonder if that was going to happen in my lifetime, but it did. It happened in 2020 in the midst of one of the greatest um, sustained dominance dynasties in the history of baseball. You know, I'll, I'll argue that all day. You know, the dynasty question, they need to win another one, whatever. Regular season-wise and finally getting a World Series ring uh, when they're not getting cheated by the 2017 team, whatever. Really phenomenal moment. And this one really actually um, relates directly to my collecting because I talk about this a lot, but above me, you know, where I sit and record, there's a shelf above me where I have um, the cards. Or I have the 2020 Topps Chrome and Topps Finest cards, as low numbered as I could find, of, of a lot of the major players. Walker Bueller's up there, Clayton Kershaw, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, who was NLCS and World Series MVP. You know, he's since left to play with the Rangers, but that dude will forever be a Dodger in my eyes. And then I have a, a top stadium club 2021, which is a horizontal card, which I've shared on my Instagram, but it's Kershaw holding that World Series trophy. God, I love that shelf up there. There's also a 2020 World Series champions um, bat shot glass thing. And... Um, Shout out to an anonymous friend of mine who was actually able to secure a foul ball from that World Series game that I have in that shot glass or on that shot glass, whatever. It's my 2020 World Series shelf. 
the reason I collect, right? I, I, I'm, I'm stressing this over and over. I'm at 38 minutes into this show now or whatever it is. It's the love of the game. It's the love of the sports or the wrestling or whatever it is. And this, this need, this want, this passion to want to express that love through the cardboard, through the curation, sharing these stories, this part of me, these parts of me with friends and family and, and just myself, being able to come in and sit down and, and rifle through these cards and look over on my, on my shelves and seeing them and, and, and what that can help stir up. You know, I, I started this episode off talking about the rough week that I had had stemming from a illegitimate fear that I had about my eye. And I, I sat a lot, a lot of, I spent many hours in this room, in this office, in this guest area, sitting on the couch by myself. And every now and then through my sunglasses inside, I, I could still look at my cards and my comics that I have up and, you know, these, these materialistic, silly things, right? But I, I find a legitimate joy in them. And I hope you do too. I hope that whatever you're collecting, if you're collecting soccer, if you're collecting Formula One, uh, Garbage Pail Kids, Star Wars, I don't care. I hope that it isn't all about the investment for you. I hope that it isn't about just the flipping for you. And I hope it's not just about following the mainstream. You know, let's go get all the quarterbacks. Let's go get the Justin Herberts. Yeah, I mean, listen. You collect the way you want to collect, but I hope that there is something that you are collecting that you are passionate and and just in love with the same way that I am, because that's the show that I want to put out. That's the vibes I want to put out. That's what I want to share in this hobby. I don't know if I'll have any impact whatsoever in this hobby, but what I aim to do with this show is share that part of me and hope and hope that I'm sharing it with people that can relate to that, that will be inspired by that, then will go out and, and add their things to their collection. Now, we're 40 minutes in, thereabouts. I hope you've stuck with me. I hope that you've you found some inspiration in what I've been talking about and what I've been trying to express. So, I don't know, <laughs> ugly here on the show tonight. But I have a question. I have a question that I want to put out to the folks that listen to the show. I've reached a, a decent size audience for a nobody. I'm pretty stoked with how many people listen every week. And I'm hoping that it's reached a point that I can do this. I can put something out and, and hopefully get a, a real response. But I just shared my top five sports moments, quote unquote, you know, whatever that, that inspires my collecting. I would love for you to share on Instagram or on Twitter, some of your favorite sports moments and maybe some cards that help express that for you. Tag me at Sports Card Nobody on Instagram. You can tag me at Sport Card Nobody on Twitter. You can DM me. You can reach out any way you want. I would love to know what inspires you to collect your cards, to curate your collection. Please reach out to me and share that. If I get one, I'll consider that a huge win. If I get zero, that's fine too. And if you're enjoying this, please, please podcast hub of choice apple spotify whatever it might be leave a review subscribe do all that fun stuff it helps the show grow more than anything though if you're digging this at all share this share this with friends share this with family share this with anybody you think might care about anything i have to say here today and again 
at Sports Car Nobody on Instagram, at Sports Car Nobody on Twitter. Reach out to me about anything. I love to talk with the people that listen to the show. I've really been forming some really strong relationships virtually with strangers, and I love it. Thank you so much for listening. This one was uh, an odd episode. I hope you stuck with me. Have a great night. Thank you.